Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mm-hmm. My sister calls me a happiness bully because if I think there's a way for you to be happier, I can get kind of insistent. For over a decade, author Gretchen Rubin has been on a mission to crack the nut on happiness. And what she's found has surprised her. I went into it thinking like, well, what I'm going to find is the best set of habits and the best practices for happiness and like the core principles. But it's really about understanding the variety with which people approach their lives and the multitude of tools that different people use. On today's episode, how understanding our personalities can help us unlock a better path to happiness. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change. Gretchen Rubin is the author of five best-selling books about happiness, all a delightful blend of memoir and science-based insights. She's also the creator of The Happiness Project, an initiative that spans several books, a podcast, and a vibrant online community. I was drawn to Gretchen's story because she never thought she'd end up in this space. In fact, she trained as a lawyer, graduating from Yale Law School and clerking for the Supreme Court. Gretchen was on this path, until one gloomy, rainy day, when she was struck by an existential question, the kind that can hit you when you're surrounded by a bunch of soggy people on a city bus. I said, well, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, well, I want to be happy. And I realized I was saying I wanted to be happy, but I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy 
or if I thought I could be happier. I didn't even really know, could you make yourself happier? And I thought, you know, I should have a happiness project. And I ran out to the library and got a giant stack of books. This is something that happens to me frequently. I get really enraptured with some idea like happiness and I run out and I read a ton of books and I take a bunch of notes. But with happiness, it was so endlessly fascinating and Mm. so interesting. I was going deeper and deeper and deeper and getting more and more excited about all the things that I could do in my own life and to try, you know, all these experiments that I wanted to run on myself as a guinea pig. It really started just as an experiment for my own life. That is what became the Happiness Project eventually. And for listeners who haven't read The Happiness Project, do you mind giving a little color as to the types of things that you tried out during your experimental year seeking (laughs) happiness? Yes, I I spent a year, it was a year-long experiment to see what made me happier, could I make myself happier? And so every month I would pick a theme for something that I thought would make me happier. So I might work on energy or marriage or work. Um, And then for each month, I would take a handful of sort of concrete, manageable resolutions, things that I felt like I could do as part of my ordinary day. I didn't do anything that was like a two-week silent meditation retreat. Like these are all things I could do as part of my ordinary day. And just to see like, well, did this make me happier? What were some of the most memorable changes you made that you feel had the greatest impact on your happiness or that surprised you in some way? But one of the biggest surprises, I mean, you know this, is that the research is overwhelming that novelty and challenge tend to make people happier, even things like going to a new restaurant or walking through a new neighborhood. Hmm. But I thought, well, that's not true of me. I like familiarity. I like mastery. I have very limited interest in like what I like to do. I eat the same food all the time. (laughs) But because of the nature of this experiment, I had to test it. Mm. I had to see what I would find. And so at that time, I thought, well, I'll start a blog. And this was something that at that point was very much out of my comfort zone. I, I always wrote long. I never wrote short. I didn't come from journalism. So I was used to writing books. Yeah. I didn't know how to do techie stuff. I just felt like everything about it was intimidating and unfamiliar and scary. And, um, and I thought, well, it's novel and challenging. So why don't I try this? And that just became an enormous engine of happiness for me. I mean, I, it's led to so many things and I've learned so many new skills from just sort of stepping into that territory. And so I found that even for a familiarity and mastery lover like me, Mm. um, it is true that novelty and challenge make us happier. Yeah, I'd love to dig in a bit on the novelty challenge, given what you described about your personality. Um, I know that Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize for his work in behavioral economics, differentiates between moment to moment happiness or utility Mm -hmm. and then remembered utility, Mm -hmm. right? Or remembered happiness. The things that might in the longer term make us feel happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction in the short term might come along with a lot of unpleasant feelings or negative feelings like you described, right? In those early days of blogging. The way I think about it is to be happy, you have to think about feeling good, So how do you have fun, love, enthusiasm, connection, play? Mm. You have to think about feeling bad. How can you feel less guilt, anger, resentment, boredom, indignation? But you also have to think about feeling right, which is, does your life live up to your values? Does it reflect what you want your life to be, even if that makes you feel bad and does not make you feel good, which sometimes it doesn't? And you have to think about having an atmosphere of growth, which is when Um, We just feel we're happier when we're growing, when we're learning things, when we're fixing things, when we're helping someone else, when somehow we're just contributing to growth. And so for me, it's clear to think about something like this is this is a way that I was growing. 
And it's a trade-off that we all have to be thinking about at all times. Because, you know, we say, like, all we have is now, all we have is the present moment. That's true. Mm -hmm. It's also true that a life that is wholly focused on the present moment would not be a good life. You don't want to do something right now to make yourself feel better that just in the end is going to make you feel worse. Um, And so I think that this tension between how do I feel right now versus do I choose to deprive myself of something? Do I choose to demand something of myself? Because I know that my future self will be happier for it. Exactly. And I think some of the research that I find so exciting in the field of cognitive science and psychology around happiness is around how we can reduce the friction we feel in the short term when it comes to reaching our long-term goals and the fact that our ability to build habits out of the things that we want to do um, can be a very effective tactic. Yes, So can you talk a bit more about the connection between habit building and happiness? And again, how that can help us overcome some of these shorter term obstacles or barriers in pursuit of our long term happiness goals? Well, and what you're saying is exactly what led me to write my book better than before, which is all about habit change, because what you see is that people want to be happier. But then often what it would take to follow through with those aims is to develop some kind of habit, because you're right. Habit puts behavior on autopilot. We don't have to make decisions. We don't have to use willpower. It's just something that happens. We just get into a car and put on the seatbelt and we just don't give it a second thought. And there's a lot of power in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're trying to build a habit, there's many things that we can do to try to strengthen it. So one of the few sort of almost universals is that we're much more likely to do things that are convenient and much less likely to do things that are inconvenient. So if there's something you want to do, you want to make it as easy as possible. And if something's you don't want to do it, you want to make it harder. Hmm. So, and I've heard of so many funny examples. Ooh, can you share some of them? They sleep in their workout clothes so they don't have to change <laughs> their clothes to go to work out in the morning. I've heard of people who will take their television remote control and like put it in a cabinet on the other side of their house or apartment. So if they want to turn on the TV, they have to walk way out of their way. You know, putting your phone in the trunk of your car instead of putting it next to you where it's going to be beckoning to you with every time it chirps, you're just going to want to like, ooh, can I just take a quick look? Yeah. Here I am at a stoplight. I'm just going to take a quick look. And like, well, if it's in the trunk of your car, that won't, that'll be too inconvenient. So I think those are things that just about anybody can think about as convenience and inconvenience. And it's hard to overstate, I think, just how even the smallest of frictions can have a disproportionate impact on our behavior. So like my husband and I go for walks in the evening and it just drives him nuts when I occasionally, you know, take my phone out of my pocket. So there are times where, and this has been a wonderful change in my life as of late, I just leave my phone at home. I'm like, between the two of us, we only need one phone. So that's like the full phase. Yes, Great idea. There are times where I need to bring my phone for whatever reason. And when I do that, I put my phone onto airplane mode. And you would Mm -hmm. think I'm one button away from going back to four, whatever, 5G, right? Just one button away, one press away. But in my mind, that is enough of an antagonist for me to not want to do it. Yes. This is not like you have to do some, you know, you've got to rearrange your house to make it easier to do yoga or something. This is like, you know, um, very small things can make a difference. And small inconveniences can make it much easier to resist temptation. Exactly. And on this topic of, you know, small changes generally, I love your focus on incremental changes within the constraints of our existing lives to try and become happier. Because, Mm -hmm. look, most of us don't have the luxury of engaging in a 
radical Elizabeth Gilbertian <laughs> eat, pray, love, escape, yeah. right? It's fun to read about, but... Yeah, yeah it's fun to read about. Yeah, we um, can't manage it. Yeah. We can't manage it. And a lot of us only have the mental bandwidth even day to day to introduce small changes in our lives, given our other responsibilities. And um, I think I share some very similar personality traits to you in that, you know, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I like routine. I'm not actually seeking a revolutionary big change mm-hmm. in my life. I don't think that's mm. actually consonant with, with who I am. And so the idea of looking within our own spaces to try to find more joy or more happiness, I think is mm-hmm. for someone like me anyway, and for lots of folks who are listening to this, who have like really busy, active lives and not that much freedom to explore other spaces, I think that can be um, a huge source of inspiration. So I think that we need to think of things that are manageable, um, that we can do as part of our ordinary day, things that are concrete. So they're not things like, I'm going to eat healthier, because it's like, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean you're going to not eat out of vending machines? Does it mean you're going to cook more? Does it mean that you're going to start eating breakfast? Does it mean that you're going to start packing a lunch to bring from home? Does it mean that you're not going to get Take out, like, what does that mean for you? There's a million things that could mean. What exactly is the specific habit that you're wanting to do and make it manageable and really find a way to make it part of your day-to-day. But one of the things I think that is really interesting is that you also want to consider a lot of different ways for you to achieve your aims. I think sometimes we want somebody to say, like, this is the right way to do it or "This this is the most effective way to do it. But the problem is, is that people are really different. Even with something like morning people and night people, if you want to exercise, say, somebody might say to you, like, I get up every morning and go for a run before work, and that works great. You should do that. And you're just like, oh, I'm going to. And then you just can't. It just doesn't work for you. Yeah. A lot of times people get discouraged and they think, well, what's wrong with me? Because my partner or my neighbor or my coworker can do this no problem. Instead of saying something like, well, Maybe I'm a night person and I'm at my most productive and energetic later in the day. Or maybe I need accountability and this other person doesn't really need accountability. And so if I want to do this, I'll do much better if I go with a friend who's going to be annoyed if I don't show up or if I exercise with a trainer or I think about how I need to be a role model for someone else because I need that accountability to get myself to stick to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you today, Gretchen, is that a huge inspiration in creating a slight change of plans was an appreciation that there is no one size fits all approach to managing change or happiness, right? And that it's so important to figure out how we will engage with a change based on our unique set of personality traits. Yes, And so I, I see similarities in what I've just described in your approach, which is identifying core features of your personality, you call them tendencies. Mm -hmm. And then you can try to figure out, okay, given that I have these tendencies, how can I then, you know, engineer solutions, specific tailored solutions within my own life? Yes. I think there is no one size fits all solution. It's, you know, birds, bats, and bees all fly, but they have different kinds of wings. So they can all get up into the air, but, you know, they use different tools to do it. Um, And I think people are the same. After the break, Gretchen shares the four personality types she's identified in her work, what she calls the four tendencies. Then she explains how understanding your tendency can help you become happier. We'll be back in a moment with a slight change of plans. Should you send that email you wrote while you were mad? Probably not. Probiotics can't help with all of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. 
food choices, stress, or travel can throw off your gut health. That's where Ritual comes in. They made a three-in-one supplement called Symbiotic Plus with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I make sure to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning, and I always appreciate that it's in a single minty capsule. Ritual prioritizes sustainably sourced ingredients and lower carbon packaging for its products, which is another reason I feel good about taking Symbiotic Plus. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 25% off. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients. Each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Do you mind giving listeners an overview of your framework, namely the four tendencies? Sure. So this divides people into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And I'll describe it briefly, but if somebody wants to take a quiz and like get a report and an answer, because I know <laughs> some people love a quiz and an answer, you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R tendencies. And it will, it's like three and a half million people have taken this quiz. It's free. It's quick. But I'll just describe it. And I think your listeners will know what they are. Sure. Um, so what it's looking at is something very narrow, but significant, which is how you respond to expectations. Um, outer expectations, like a work deadline, and inner expectations, like your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. Mm. They meet inner expectations. They resist outer expectations. 
They don't like anything that they think is arbitrary, ineffective, unjustified. They're always looking for reasons. And so their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Hmm. Then there are obligers, and this is the biggest tendency for both men and women. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So these are people who say, I don't understand why I can keep my promises to other people, but I don't keep my promises to myself. Hmm. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. Mm. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. So their motto is, you can't make me, and neither can I. <laughs> So those are the four tendencies. Okay, so let's say that someone has identified what their tendency is, right? Yes. Can you give just a couple of illustrations of ways that they might be able to apply that to their own life in order to see greater happiness or change or whatever their goals are? Absolutely. So let's say that someone ha wants the habit of exercising because that's a very common habit that people like because they know it makes them happier and more energized and sleep better. So let's say you're an obliger. That's the biggest tendency. You need outer accountability. So you just need to figure out how to get that. If you're a questioner, questioners are good at forming habits once they decide that's what they want. And if you see a questioner who's sort of stalled out and says they want to form a habit but is having trouble, even though they say, well, I know this is make me happier, it's probably because they don't have clarity. They need to know why. Mm. But it's not just like, why would I exercise? It's like, why am I going to do this kind of exercise? Why am I listening to this expert? Why am I doing it this way? Why am I doing it at this time of day? The more clarity they have, the more their questions are answered, the more they will have that feeling of like, oh, this makes sense. Mm. I'm in. For rebels, rebels do not tend to have good luck with things like scheduling. They tend not to like accountability. They don't like somebody looking over their shoulders. So a lot of things that work for other tendencies don't work as well for rebels. So if a rebel wanted to do this, I would say one Think about your identity, because identity is such an important value to rebels. I'm a person who, who has a strong, healthy, active body, or I love to travel and to travel, like I got to be in good shape. If I want to climb mountains, if I want to get on you know, a bus in the middle of a foreign country, I got I to gotta bring that strength. And so, of course, I'm going to exercise. That's like part of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, or it's like, I'm going to go exercising in the middle of the day when I'm supposed to be working because I'm not staying behind a screen and you can't make me, you know, or they might like a challenge. Rebels often love a challenge. Hey, mm. you think I can't run a marathon? Watch me. That is what I have learned from Rebels as an upholder, um, which is my tendency. <laughs> and so for upholders, I have to say habits come more easily to upholders. They tend to like calendars. They like to-do lists. They like execution. They like planning. And so they tend to find a lot of satisfaction in that. And this is also why upholders should be aware that others often do not find it as easy and satisfying to do the things that upholders do. Upholders mm. often think, hey, look, it works for me. Just get with the program, do what I do, and you'll be, it'll work for you. And it's like, no, it won't because we're all different. <laughs> we all have to figure out what works for us. So I'm curious, Gretchen, I know, I mean... I've only had the joy of your company for some short number of minutes at this point. <laughs> However, a little challenge for you. I know you're an upholder, not a rebel, but I'm going to give yeah. you a challenge anyway. So Ooh, okay. uh, I took your quiz and I'm curious to know if you can guess based on the very limited data you have about me so far, which tendency I fell into. Well, can I ask you how you feel about New Year's resolutions? Um, 
yeah, I like New Year's resolutions. I feel emboldened by them and I usually try and take advantage of them. Do people ever tell you that you're too rigid or that you should be more spontaneous? No. Do people ever tell you that you ask too many questions? Yes. Okay. Well, you're leading me to think that you're a questioner who tips to upholder. That's what that's what my that's what I'm thinking now. Yes. So I am a questioner. Mm-hmm. Um and but I I will say when filling out the quiz, one challenge I faced is that depending on like the hat that I was wearing, yeah, I know that's this is very meta and very ironic. <laughs> okay. Now you're going deep into questioner because questioners often say I can't answer the quiz because, and then they go into like all the distinctions and like how this and how that, and they're one of each thing. And, but I I, I won't put you through that. No, no, but, but, (laughs) but it's actually interesting because it is very much a questioner response. Yeah. And so that is making me think just even being like, I question the validity of this framework or like, you know, what about selection bias? Like, you know, these kinds of like questions. And this is why the questioner tendency is so valuable. Sure. Because these questions are really valuable. Yeah. And I just, I was finding that depending on the hat that I put on when answering, when going through the quiz, I could be an obliger in certain contexts in my life. And I was more of a rebel in other areas mm-hmm. um, of my life. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's a lot of malleability depending on the context in which I'm operating. Mm-hmm. So if listeners go in and take the quiz and they don't like what they find, and I know you said you shouldn't assign, you know, it's no rank order on what tendency <laughs> you are, right? You just yeah. are what you are. Yeah. In terms of the research and psychology on change, it can be really helpful to have a growth mindset around things, right? Mm-hmm. It can also be helpful to not put too strong a label on oneself because we know from identity priming research that we will act in ways that align with our social identities. Yeah. And so... Do you see that there is sufficient malleability, um, at least like a spectrum within each category, and that you can, you know, at least aspire to possess some of the other traits that you see in the other domains, if if that's what people desire? I wouldn't think about it as trying to be like the other tendencies. I'm trying to get what I want. I'm trying to achieve my aim. How do I achieve my aim as an obliger? Mm -hmm. How can I use the tools that work for obligers so I can get where I want? Because if somebody were to say, what I really want to be is an upholder, what they're really saying is, I think it would be easier for me to achieve my aims if I were an upholder, or I think it would be easier to achieve my aims if I were a questioner, or I think I could have the life I want if I were a rebel. So it's more like you get what you get and you don't get upset and you work with it. Mm -hmm. And then you get wherever you're trying to go. Because I think people do get very distracted by wishing they were different from the way they were. So I think to clarify my question, I think it's less about wanting to be another tendency and more that you might find, for example, let's say that you are an upholder. Yes. Okay. Which I am. And you're like, you know what? I do feel like in my professional life, the fact that I'm so rule bound is actually hurting me, hindering Mm -hmm. me in some way. Yeah. And that if I could cultivate a little bit more of a rebel spirit so that I saw the constraints of my work in a more flexible way, I saw less red tape day to day, I was more willing to speak up to my boss, that would be a trait from the rebel category. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to be a rebel or Mm -hmm. pretend that I can be a rebel fully in that, you know, that category, but more, I see traits in other spaces where if I were to cultivate that I would be better off, right? I would end up being happier, reaching my goals. I think that's a much better way to frame it than saying, I want to be a a rebel. And that's what I hear from a lot of people. A lot of people are just very categorically, I don't want to be my tendency. Tell me how to get to another tendency. Mm -hmm. The way you're saying is very helpful, which is each of these have weaknesses and limitations that are kind of complemented by a strength and another tendency. So how can you mindfully think about, well, how could I bring that in? So exactly to your point, as an upholder, that is, you describe exactly what I face. Sometimes I'm too eager 
to meet an expectation. I too much follow the rules. So I learn from questioners and I think, well, why would I do this? What's the point of this? Hmm. Why am I going to meet this expectation? Or a rebel, like I can choose. I'm free here. Like, does this work for me? Do I feel like doing this or not? Hmm. So I think you're exactly right. I think we can study um, and learn from the strengths of the other tendencies. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's just great to be exploratory in this space and basically to learn whatever you can from each, you know, see what can benefit you. Look, there's lots of psychological models out there, lots of ways of divvying up personality. And I think it's productive to engage with many of them and to figure out, I mean, in the same way that we might have idiosyncratic preferences around habit formation, what motivates us or the way in which we need to structure incentives in our lives, different frameworks might resonate more or less with us. A hundred percent. One thing I love, Gretchen, is that you... You know, I think there's a there's a criticism in the happiness space around the more time we spend thinking about it, um, the worse off we are. Happiness is this elusive thing and is counterproductive to indulge mm-hmm. too much in, in happiness thinking. And, and you mm-hmm. counter that, right? You say, no, I don't quite think that's right. Um, so do you mind sharing a bit more about that? No, you're exactly right. I think it was John Stuart Mills who said, ask yourself if you are happy and you shall cease to be so. Kind of this idea that we were going to all trip over our own feet. <laughs> but yeah, my view is that we're much more likely to hit a target if we aim at it. And in my observation with happiness, it's not most people, the issue isn't that they think about it too much, but they're like me and they hardly think about it at all. You know, they're in the busyness of everyday life. It's sometimes hard to step back and ask ourselves a big question like, am I making enough time for friends? Am I yelling at my kids too much? Am I, are my habits kind of slowly chipping away at my health? And do I need to do something about that? I've been meaning to volunteer for like five years now. Like, am I ever going to do anything about that? I know that I should, Mm. but somehow the day never feels right. And so I think that by really saying, what would make me happier? What could I do as part of my ordinary day? And, uh, and so I think that for happiness, it is really helpful um, to think about it and to try to find ways within our ordinary days to make those changes, which are often not that demanding and really can give us a surprising change. You said that, of course, there are very personality-specific recommendations around happiness. Yes. But for listeners who are just getting their feet wet, let's just give them a little bit to warm them up. So if you were going to say, what are the keys to happiness? One would be relationships. Um, Ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that to be happy, you have to have strong, enduring bonds. You need to feel like you can confide. You have to feel like you belong. You have to be able to get support. And just as important for happiness, you need to be able to give support. So that's one kind of rule of thumb. Mm. Another rule of thumb is it's always helpful to start by thinking about your own body because our physical experience always colors our emotional experience. And when we feel energy, when we feel good in our body, that makes it a lot easier to do all the other things Mm. that we know would make us happier. But if we are feeling drained, if we are feeling overwhelmed, if we are feeling just exhausted, it is very hard to do something even if you know it would make you happier because you just don't feel like you can muster up the wherewithal to do it. So that's things like give yourself a bedtime or like exercises like a magical elixir where it both energizes us, but it also calms us down. And so thinking about, okay, I'm going to think about my body, my energy, my exercise. Another thing to think about is like, maybe you want to think about having some fun, Mm. like something that you truly anticipate with pleasure, something that you do not look back on with regret. So this isn't something that's fun now, but is not fun later. Something that you look back on with pleasure. 
something that you see it in your calendar and you really feel good about that. And this isn't like, I know I'll feel better if I go to a spin class, but I don't really feel like going. I just know I'm going to feel great after. It's like, what are you really looking forward to? Is there a book that you've been dying to read? Is there a TV show you've been dying to watch? Like, take the time to do something just to give you a little bit of that lightness and playfulness. Mm. And the last thing I would say is like one of the best ways to be happy is to make other people happy. And this is the source of happiness that never fails. And I had a friend once who was going through a terribly difficult time. She got fired. She got rejected from a graduate program and her boyfriend broke up with her. And I mm-hmm. said, how did you get through it? And she said, I was practically addicted to doing good deeds. It was the only thing that kept me going. And this is something like even when you kind of don't know what to do. If you do even a small good deed, like, oh, I told you I would send you that recommendation, or I'm going to introduce those two people, or I'm going to hold the door open for somebody with a stroller, or I'm going to donate whatever I can afford to an organization whose cause I believe in. And sometimes people think like, well, if you do something for the benefit of someone else and it makes you happier, well, it's not really selfless because you're really making yourself happier. But I'm like, who cares? It always makes me happy to see people doing good in the world. And if I'm the person doing good in the world, all the better. (laughs) This is a source of happiness that is good for everyone. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed my conversation with Gretchen, you might also like my episode with psychologist Ethan Cross. It's called The Science of Our Inner Voice. We'll link to it in the show notes. And join me next week for a heartfelt conversation with Bani Rashidi. She's a mother whose world was upended when her toddler was given a life-changing diagnosis. A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes our showrunner, Tyler Green, our senior editor, Kate Parkinson Morgan, our producer, Trisha Bobita, and our sound engineer, Andrew Vastola. Luis Guerra wrote our delightful theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. See you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards.
See you there.